Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Before we get into today's message, I want to wish all the fathers watching today a very special Happy Father's Day. While we can't celebrate you as a church in person, we want to offer this special video greeting, uh, followed by a message from Christian Clement Schlem. Enjoy. Sometimes I wonder where I'd be without you. Would I understand life? Would I make right choices? Would I live out my faith? Thank you for showing me what it means to love God and for giving me your all, even when it was difficult. Thank you for the discipline I deserved and the grace I didn't, and for being present, even though you had so much on your plate. Thank you for picking me up and encouraging me to try again, and for the little life lessons I still lean on today. The truth is, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for you. As I look back on my life, I see moment after moment where your influence, your wisdom, and your strength made all the difference. Thank you for loving me. Today, I give thanks. Today, I am grateful. Today, I celebrate you. I love you, Dad. Hello everyone, welcome to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. I'm so glad you could join us today. Over the past year, I think most of us have come to see the importance of relationships in a new light. Whether it was because of the increased time spent in the home with family, figuring out new arrangements with coworkers, or missing time spent with friends, I think we all got a powerful lesson in how much life depends on relationships. But this is some, something you already knew from before the pandemic. Relationships are a foundation of our society. It has always been critical that we take them seriously and do them well. A clear sign of this importance of relationships is the concept and existence of relationship advice. If you think about it, we really depend on relationship advice. Whether it's getting advice from friends on how to talk with a special someone, or getting tips from an older couple as you start your marriage, it might be talking to a mentor before going into a job interview, and it could be even kids asking their siblings how and when to ask their parents for something. Relationships are big, they're important, we depend on them, and we want to do them right. Therefore, we love both getting and giving advice. This is such a massive part of life that we even come up with slogans to summarize the classic themes of relationship advice. To the new, newly married couple, we say, happy wife, happy life. To the person trying to get a promotion, we might say, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. There are many relationship slogans that we use and hear, and they can be pretty helpful. They're meant to promote things like genuine care and healthy ambition. But at the same time, I think we need to recognize and acknowledge how slogans like these can backfire, how they can fail us and our relationships. Think about the popular relationship slogan like just be yourself. That sounds like solid advice. 
Maybe you yourself have said something like that to a young person preparing for a first date, going to a new school, or getting ready for a job interview. You probably said it to encourage honesty and confidence, two wonderful qualities. But what if the young person you told that to turns out to be arrogant and self-absorbed? Or maybe without you knowing it, they're quite lazy and love cutting corners. Just be yourself can easily become terrible advice. When you think about it, generally sound and wise relationship advice can easily be misunderstood, abused, or poorly applied. You tell a young man, happy wife, happy life, and he might take that to mean he has to constantly buy his wife stuff they can't afford. You advise someone dress for the job you want, and they might wear something totally inappropriate to their current job. Relationship advice, especially the slogans we constantly use, can be extremely dangerous. I don't even have to mention the explicitly problematic ones, but still popular like nice guys finish last or always look out for number one. Relationships are important. We need advice, but we have to go deeper than the well-known slogans and general themes of relationship advice they point to. While they might contain legitimate nuggets of practical wisdom, I'm not denying that, but I am arguing that even the best of them are remarkably prone to misunderstanding, utterly dependent on our specific culture and situation, and supremely lacking when it comes to establishing an end goal. Relationships are critical. We are in constant need of advice, but we need a better slogan. We need advice that addresses the fundamental realities of all our relationships. We need guidance that goes beyond the best of what the world can offer. So today, let's turn to the best source of advice we have access to, the very word of God itself. Let's see right now what instruction God gives us to form the healthiest and most beneficial relationships we can have. Let's see how God himself models and provides the very best foundation for any relationship. Let's turn to Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, and see how God, speaking through the Apostle Paul, calls on us to approach our various relationships. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Feel free to pause and get the text open and follow along as I read. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, there it is, right at the start of verse one, the best relationship advice you'll ever get. Be imitators of God. And since we're talking about slogans, we can even shorten that down a bit. Here's the divine slogan to bring to all your relationships, friends, family, work, all of them. Imitate God. I'll say it again. Imitate God. More than a pious suggestion, more than a helpful tidbit, this is God's command to you in your relationships. Imitate God. God. There we have it, our new slogan. But right now you're probably thinking, that sounds good, but how on earth do I do that? How can I, little old me, imitate God? 
How can I, a small, frail creature, imitate God, the undisputed, unrivaled, unmatched master of the universe? That's a fair question. And that's what we're going to be spending the rest of our time thinking about. To start, let's lay out the biblical parameters to this instruction. The first thing to recognize is that God is not telling us to do what's truly, and I mean truly, impossible. He's not calling on us creatures to become like the Creator. He's not calling on us finite beings to become infinite. He's not telling us to somehow develop His unique, incommunicable attributes, to imitate Him by becoming omnipotent, omnipresent, all-seeing, all-knowing, or self-existent. Rather, the context of our passage today tells us what our slogan is hitting on. The command in chapter 5 verse 1 is to imitate God. That's clear. But this comes right after Paul's instruction in Ephesians 4. Let's take a look at this guiding context by reading Ephesians 4 verses 31 to 32. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he, here we see we're talking about imitating God in the context of God's attributes that humans can take on, his communicable attributes. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. We are to imitate God relationally. And as we saw at the end of the passage, we're guided by his own example in Christ. I believe John Gill, the leading Baptist theologian of the 18th century, summarizes it well. We're called to imitate God, not in his works of infinite wisdom and almighty power, which is impossible, but in acts of righteousness and holiness, and particularly in acts of mercy, goodness, and charity. Hopefully that takes some of the pressure off as we now dive into our text today. Imitate God in terms of relations, not being. That's probably sounding a little more manageable now, but if you think about it, that's still a massive command. Imitate God in terms of kindness, goodness, mercy, and charity? That's obviously a profitable and awesome objective but it's also an unimaginably high standard to govern our lives and our relationships. So let's continue in our passage now and see how God not only gives us this instruction, but also gives us the how, the what, and the why surrounding this command of living out this slogan. Here's the first point you need to remember. Imitate God by remembering how God loves you. I'll say it again. Imitate God by remembering how God loves you. Where do we see that in our text? Let's read verse 1 again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the first thing we need to take in, understand, and apply as we think about imitating God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are beloved children of God. Remembering that theological truth really helps make sense of our slogan. First of all, in terms of motivation. Children, typically speaking, are expected to take after their parents, 
Think as they think, speak as they speak, do as they do. That's the way of things. But that's especially true for believers with God as their heavenly father. We are to speak as God speaks and do as God does because through faith in Jesus Christ, we are his children. That's an incredibly high calling that Jesus himself summarized to his followers when he said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Why imitate God? What's the motivation? We are his children. But again, as we think about it, be perfect as God is perfect. That's so incredibly daunting. How can I be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect? How can I imitate God perfectly in my relationships? Short answer, we can't. And that's where we need to remember the beautiful wording of our text. This text not only gives us motivation, it gives us comfort. Believer, remember, you're not just a child of God, called to be like God. You are a beloved child. Beloved. Think about that. Meditate on that. Being a child of God is a high calling, a powerful motivation, but it is also the most amazing, wonderful, life-changing privilege and honor. Why imitate God? Because you are his child. How do you imitate God? Without fear, without anxiety, without dread, because you are his beloved child. Paul in Romans summarizes it so well. He writes, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So imitate God in your relationships. You are his child. But remember, when you inevitably fail, fall short, fail to meet his standard, don't fall back into fear. Don't you dare give up. Don't believe the lie that it's all over. Remember, God loves you. You are his beloved child. When I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about this point, I was reminded of when my friend Patrick taught me how to fish. I wasn't a super quick learner. At one point on the lake, I had to retie the knot for my hook. But for some reason, I just couldn't get it right. But thankfully, Patrick didn't give up on me. After the fifth time explaining the knot and my fifth time failing to get it right, he patiently stopped rowing the boat, leaned over, and walked me through it again. It must have been annoying, it must have been frustrating, but my repeated failures didn't get in the way of our friendship. My lack of fine motor skills didn't sink our relationship. In fact, despite that debacle and more, Patrick kept on teaching and even took me out again fishing with joy and gladness. Why? Because we're friends, dear brothers in Christ. My failures didn't undo that. That's our relationship with God, except on the grandest scale. We should be motivated to keep growing and learning as his children, but our failings and mistakes, big or small, can't undo his love for us. Through faith in Christ, we are his beloved children, and that can't be undone. With that in mind, now let's think of some application. Fathers, you are called to imitate God in the raising of your children. That's the divine advice and instruction for that incredibly important relationship. 
What does that look like? It means being patient with your children as God is patient with you. That means to discipline your children when they do wrong as God disciplines his children. That means taking seriously your call to train them in the ways of courage, justice, and faith, just as God trains us. That means raising your children diligently by setting your own example of respecting others and putting God first. But fathers, remember your identity as beloved children. When you fail in your task, whether it's slipping into the wrong kind of anger or letting your kids slide when they needed discipline, whatever it might be, don't give up. Don't languish in defeat. Confess, repent, and keep on imitating God. You're called to be patient and merciful with your children because God is patient and merciful with you. Hear me, fathers. Listen to me, any believer approaching any relationship. You are to imitate God because you are his child. And you imitate God without fear because you are beloved. Stay motivated. Stay on task. Even when you mess up or fail because you are God's beloved child. Imitate God by remembering how God loves you. Now, let's address what we're supposed to be doing. What are the best actions to form and maintain our relationships? As you probably already figured out, imitate God means so many things. Frankly, it could be a lot to keep track of. I know it is for me. But thankfully, our passage today gives us some further instruction, an example really, to help us remember the fundamentals of what to do when imitating God. Follow with me as I read verse 1 again, but add the first half of verse 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Did you hear that? What are you supposed to do in order to imitate God? Simply put, we are to walk in love. That's pretty straightforward, and it perfectly summarizes everything we're supposed to do in our relationships. But we're left with a major question. What is love? Love is a word our society constantly throws around. We love to love things, people, and ideas. But do we really understand what that means? Mercifully, God doesn't leave us guessing, and in 1 Corinthians 13, we get a powerful description of love. You probably remember this. Love is patient, kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth and never fails. Love is an amazing thing, and if you were to pour over that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, I believe you will notice a common theme. Loving someone means seeking what's best for them. That's critical. Love does not just mean accepting everyone for who they are or just being a generally nice person. Loving someone means seeking the best for that person. That requires genuine respect for a person. It requires an affirmation of their dignity and value at all times. But it also, depending on the context and circumstance, might mean having hard conversations or speaking an unpopular truth. And remember, it is never best for another person to compromise on truth or your own value and dignity. But that's the call for relationships. That's imitating God. 
walking in love by seeking the best for others. And if you're wondering how far you are to take this command in your relationships, the Apostle Paul draws us to Christ's own example. Look at the first half of verse 2 again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If you want to imitate God in your relationships, if you want to walk in love, you need to embrace the fact that true love goes hand in hand with sacrifice. And sacrifice means putting others first. Jesus Christ himself is the great example of this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, was seated in glory, enthroned in heaven's majesty. And what did he do? For the sake of love, God's love for his undeserving people, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh and dwelt among us. And what was his life among us like? As it says in Matthew 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus's life, a life worthy of all imitation, was one defined by love and sacrifice. And this leads us to the second call of our passage. As you approach your various relationships, imitate God by loving and sacrificing for others. Love and sacrifice for others as Christ loved and sacrificed for you. But what does that look like? Husbands, this call was directly given to you in relation to your wives. Ephesians 5.25 states, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does this mean? Husbands, that means your leadership in your marriage should never, ever, ever be defined by tyranny negligence, or disinterest. You are called to love your wives as Christ himself loved the church. That means seeking her best and putting her needs first. John Wesley is a name you might be familiar with. He was perhaps the most influential evangelical preacher of the 18th century. He was known for his powerful sermons, his tender care for souls, and constant concern for justice. What you might not know is that he was also known for and remembered today for his marriage, but not in a good way. John Wesley was cold, distant, and apathetic when it came to his wife. He let his work and passions get in the way of his marital responsibilities. If you were looking to describe Wesley's marriage with one word, that word would be failure. Thankfully, Wesley in the end received the same grace and mercy we just talked about as beloved child of God. But learn from his example. Don't do what he did. His terrible relations with women, especially his wife, stand as a black stain on what otherwise would be perhaps one of the most powerful testimonies of Christian fidelity. Husbands, love your wives. Don't let your work, your pride, or any feelings of your own inadequacy get in the way of your calling. Imitate God by loving and sacrificing for others. That most certainly includes your spouse. Let's now turn to our final point. Imitate God as a praise of his glory. Follow with me as I read our passage again and pay close attention to the final words. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ's loving sacrifice is here described as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That probably sounds foreign to us, but that is rich biblical language which should immediately draw our minds back to the best examples of worship in the Old Covenant. It's the image of the burnt offerings on the altars in the Old Testament, the smoke rising to God and Him being pleased with the aroma. It's a powerful image, but we need to remember what was really going on there. God doesn't have a nose like we do, and the smoke wouldn't literally rise to heaven for Him to smell as we would. But we understand when God saw His people doing those sacrifices, He saw an expression of devotion in their hearts. When they offered clean, spotless animals, it was only pleasing when they did it with a heart of devotion, worship, and genuine love for God. If the burnt offerings weren't sacrificed with a heart of worship, they wouldn't have been pleasing to God. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 1. The offerings, the sacrifices, the incense of Israel was meaningless unless it came from a contrite and worshipful heart. We might look back at the Old Testament and only see rituals and rules, but it's always been about the heart. When Jesus was asked to give the most important commandment of the law, how did he answer? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So whatever God calls you to do, you are to do it with a heart of worship and praise for him. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf was called a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God because he was on a mission from God. As Jesus said in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The Father's will was that Jesus should save his elect people. And how did Jesus do that? By living the perfect life they couldn't and dying the death they deserved on their behalf. When Jesus did that, he did so willingly out of love for God, his Father. And that's why we see his death is described as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The sacrifice was for us, but it was done for God. So when it comes to us following Jesus' perfect example, as we do anything God calls us to do, do it with a heart of worship. God calls us to imitate him in our relationships. So do that, but do it as an act of praise to God. That's a way for us to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what we see later on in Ephesians 6, 5 to 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So as you imitate God in your relationships with your friends, your clients, your employees, your teachers, or anyone else, don't just do it. Do it with a sincere heart, knowing that God sees the inside and the out, knowing that he is pleased when we do as he commands out of a genuine devotion and concern for his will and his glory. Imitate God as praise of his glory. 
We covered a lot here today, but I hope you will remember it. What's the best advice to take to all of your relationships? Imitate God. While that will mean different things for different relationships, that's the foundational instruction you need to apply. But as you imitate God, remember, you're doing this as his beloved child. So get after it and don't be afraid when you mess up. Remember that the core imitation of God is to be loving and sacrificial, just as Jesus was with us. And finally, as you imitate God, remember God cares about your heart. Imitate him as an act of praise and worship. As I just summarized all that, I want to close by pointing out a deeper reality. The call today was fundamentally to imitate God in your life. And as we discussed, that's a monumentously high standard. God doesn't just, try, uh, just say, try your best, make sure you're a good person, or be nice to everyone and you're good to go. No. God's standard for our life is his own righteousness and holiness. The call is to imitate God, to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. That's the just and good standard for life. And that's the one we've all broken and fallen short of. But that's where Jesus comes in. He not only met that standard, he died the death we deserve because we can't. While we've been talking about imitating God in our relationships with one another, everything we discussed fundamentally depends on our relationship with God through Christ. If you're, looking to, if you're not looking to Jesus as your Lord and trusting in him as the savior of your soul, know that you're simply left as not meeting God's standard. You're not his beloved child. You are a rebel and his enemy. You have failed and broken God's just, righteous, and good command. And God, as perfect and holy judge, will do what is just in response. You have every reason to be afraid, to be terrified, but you're not without hope. Turn from your sin. Turn from your life apart from God's word and will. Embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Trust in him and know that by faith in Christ, you will become a beloved child of God, his enemy no longer, but a new creation in Christ. And if you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you are a child of God by faith in Christ, press deeper. That's your privilege and duty. Study the scriptures to learn the will and character of God our Father. Pray to know Jesus more and more every day as your Lord and Savior and lean on the Holy Spirit to help you love and serve God moment by moment in all of your relationships. Living God's way is best, but we can't do that without his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word to us and for your instruction in our relationships. We know we are in desperate need of your help and advice, and we're so grateful that it's laid out before us in Ephesians. Help us now to remember to imitate you in all of our relationships. But as we do that, please remind us day by day that we are your beloved children and have nothing to fear. That to imitate you, we have to be loving and sacrificial. And that as we imitate you in our relationships, we must do it with a sincere heart as an act of praise to your glory. Father, this is a high calling and we need your mercy and grace. So please be generous with us. Grant us your spirit and your grace so that we might obey you in these great and many ways for your glory and the benefit of all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you and that you will remember it 
that you'll imitate God in all your relationships. If you found it edifying already, please share it with a friend so that they can join in and hear what we're learning about and talking about. And as always, for more messages of hope, please visit us at www.gracebc.ca. Thanks and God bless.